Happy Thursday, everybody. It is another episode of the podcast. This is Pastor Josh. And today we have Susan Wendell, who is an associate professor of New Testament theology at Horizon College here in the city. So Susan, it's great to have you. Thanks, Josh. It's really great to be here. So what, what particular areas of, of study have are, right. are, we, are we talking about when we're talking New Testament? Right. So I studied the New Testament uh, at the master's level. I got an MA in New Testament, uh, a Master of Arts in Theology. And then I went on to do a PhD in early Judaism and early Christianity wow. with, with a minor in Hebrew Bible. So kind of Bible teaching is my thing. Okay. Uh, and but New Testament is a focus. That's that's amazing. I um, so I'm really excited because Pastor Marvin just started a series as to like the Why Christmas series. Right. Yes. And so the reason why I want to have you on the podcast was to talk about well why why Christmas mm-hmm. in the actuality of the idea of why did Jesus even have to come to earth as a yes. baby? The incarnation as yeah. a big theological word for the idea that he came and literally took on flesh mm-hmm. and uh, and came in and lived among us, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. But sometimes that is a very difficult thing to kind of wrap your head around. Mm-hmm. So, so as we prepare our hearts for this Christmas season, yes. can you help us to kind of make sense of it a little bit? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd love to do that, Josh. And I'm, I'm going to do that from sort of an unusual angle. And okay. so we'll talk about the purpose of Jesus becoming fully God and uh, or he was fully God and yeah. becoming fully human. Uh, from some angles, first of all, the stories that we hear in the New Testament, the Christmas stories, like in Matthew and Luke, we hear of a virgin conceiving. So of course that's how it happened, mm-hmm. right? So a human woman uh, conceived of the Holy Spirit so that the person that was born was fully God and fully human. Yeah. But the purpose there, we often don't stop and think about it because we live in a culture different from the New Testament, but the purpose was that a Davidic king could rescue Israel. Right. So people would have expected a human Messiah to come and bring deliverance from for Israel from its enemies mm-hmm. and to reestablish God's reign through Israel. That was all expected. Right. But what was unexpected was that God himself would come. Sure. And I love how N.T. Wright talks about this. He says, um, God came and was and did for Israel what Israel couldn't do for itself. Mm-hmm. So God came for the purpose of delivering Israel establishing his rule among his people, which he had promised to do, and then through Israel, bringing salvation to the world. So it has that trajectory. So I want to start there because that's the the Christmas story we often think of of those two gospels starting there. But that's just the beginning. I think today I want to focus more on the gospel of John to start with and then on Paul, which seems kind of weird because we don't usually read Paul at Christmas time. But when we're thinking about the importance of the incarnation for humans, not just for the Jewish people, mm-hmm, but for mm-hmm. humans, we need to go there. Yeah. And so kind of the two, there's going to be three things I talk about, uh, two points and then a sub point under the second point. The first point is that the purpose of the incarnation, as we probably know, and Pastor Marvin talked about this yeah. on Sunday, was for us to understand what God looked like. Yeah. And then I'm going to talk about that out of the Gospel of John, which Marvin's already done, but I want to Bring that into focus again. And then in addition to that, I want to talk about how the purpose of the incarnation was to show us also what humans should look like. What does it look like for a human to be in right relationship with God? Jesus did that. And Paul explains Mm -hmm. why that was necessary. But there's this other piece that's really amazing. 
And that piece is that Jesus didn't show us, just didn't just show us what it was like to be human in mm-hmm. right relationship with God, but he made it possible. Yeah. He gave us his life. He shared his life with us. And so I just want to sort of soak in those things this morning as we talk. Okay. So again, I think like the, the idea is we celebrate Christmas uh, mm-hmm. as is. This, it's, the, it's the birthday of Jesus. Now, I mean, mm-hmm. like for all those listening... <laughs> It's not actually the birthday of Jesus, just <laughs> just so you know. If that if that just blew your mind, then you're in for a great conversation. Um, and really, uh, I love that you're taking it from from a Davidic standpoint. And for those listening, throughout the Bible, there are several covenants. And a covenant is like basically this, uh, not just a promise, but a promise made from God's stance without anything mm-hmm. having to do with other people uh, be participating in that promise. So he he starts and one of, so he starts out with the Abrahamic covenant. Mm-hmm. Then he goes well the Noadic Noadic covenant mm-hmm. anyway mm-hmm. Noadic to Abrahamic to Mosaic and then gets to the Davidic. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the flow of things uh, and all at every point in time God makes promises with um, Noah with Abraham with Moses essentially Israel and then gets to David and all of it is leading from Genesis three fifteen into Jesus coming. So that's right. when you, when you hear Davidic or Abrahamic or whatever, yeah. that's what you're hearing, which is which is pretty great. So there are these promises made throughout the Old Testament text that lead towards Jesus. And I love that you're looking at that mm-hmm. and the importance of that for Christmas overall. Right. So l- let's go for it. So Okay. Yeah. So I would I mean thank you for that wonderful explanation. I I'm not going to focus on the Davidic covenant as much okay, because great. I want us to think about humanity more generally. In order to that, we're going to end up in Genesis and then over to Romans. But just by way of talking a little bit about the first purpose that I mentioned that I want to talk about of the incarnation, well, it's the second one, really the first is to restore Israel. The second is to show us what God looks like. And Pastor Marvin talked about this. He did a wonderful job uh, where he talked about how the Gospel of John explains that Jesus was in the beginning, he was one with and equal to mm-hmm, God. Mm-hmm. And as God, he became flesh. He came, he, he took on flesh. This is where we get this word, yeah. incarnation. And he dwelt among us. John, that's John talking, dwelt yeah. among us, the Jewish people and among humanity more generally. So this shows us uh, God's purpose in the incarnation is to show us who God is. Um, and we beheld his glory, it says, the glory of the only begotten from the Mm. Father, full of grace and truth. We got to see who God was. And then later in uh, chapter one, I'm just quoting from chapter one of the gospel, um, no one has seen God at any time, but God, the only begotten one who was in the bosom of the Father, he's explained them, explained him to us. And so we see this picture of Jesus taking on flesh to live among us to explain who God is. Yeah, which which is an amazing idea. Totally. Because how, how would you ever know what God is really like or who he actually is? And Jesus actually coming and showing us those things mm-hmm. really does help us, I think, in in, in ways that normally wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to even understand right. about God, things that we wouldn't even understand about God. Right, because he could relate to us and ex- explain it in re- relatable ways. Which is still mind-blowing that a God could relate to us. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Ex- well, yes. This is the part that's interesting. This is the yeah. part that I want to circle around and focus in on. It's amazing in one sense 
but in another sense, not so much because okay. the fact is uh, Jesus came to show us what it was like to be truly human. Hmm. And a human in right relationship with God is one who bears his image, who hmm. looks like him, who mirrors him. And so that that's, and, and Jesus came to show what, not only to show us that, but to reclaim that for us. That's why he had to become a human. Hmm. There's, there's other ways that God had of explaining who he was. He right. had the prophets, he had people that he anointed uh, to save Israel before that who were humans. Right. But that only went so far. Jesus came, Paul says, as a human in order to reclaim our humanity for us yeah, yeah. and then to share that way of being human with us. Wow. Which is totally amazing, right? I, I it, it, It's hard to get your head around. Yeah, yeah. But that's very cool. So I want to talk about this by going back to Genesis and, and just noting a few yeah. things that we see in the Genesis story. So we know how that begins. Um, you know, God in the beginning created the heavens and the earth. And we read in Genesis 1, 2, that and I'm just going to read some passages yeah. from my Bible now. The earth was formless void. Tohu vabohu. Okay. That means that's chaos. That's a, that's that's the word for chaos. This the when God entered this space that we now see as having order and beauty. Yes. It was chaos. Yeah. It was formless void. And in the ancient Near East, that God's subduing of that formless void and making it into an order and separating the the darkness from the light, the the land from the waters and so forth, that's actually a picture of a warrior king hmm. subduing chaos and ma- and establishing that place as a place where he wow. rules as king. Not just the earth, right? The cosmos. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. So God creates the cause or he creates the cosmos out of formless void. He separates darkness from light, as I said, land from water, and fills these regions with the luminaries, with living creatures, and makes this place hospitable to life, Mm. hospitable for flourishing. And then I set this up because why? Because then he makes humanity. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting when we go, and I'm going to go there now to Genesis 1, 26 to 28, is we have this brief but potent description of the role of humanity. Why Why did God create us in the first mm. place? And this is really important for understanding the incarnation because remember I said, Jesus reclaims our yeah. humanity for us. Verse 26 of chapter one of Genesis says this, let us make, God says, let us make humankind in our image mm-hmm. according to our likeness. Well, what does that mean? Yeah. Really hard, right? Because no one's seen God. Yeah. We know that the scriptures say that. Well, later in Genesis, we get a hint because in chapter five, when, um, when Seth is born, scriptures say that Seth was born in the image and likeness, same language mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of Adam. And so we get a hint at it. We're like the father. We're yeah. like the creator in some way that's kind of unimaginable. And yet we can see it as sort of like how the son bears the image of his father. Yeah. So we're like him and we're made uniquely to be like him. And then it says we're made in the image of God, which in the ancient Near East, that would have meant, uh, or this is how this language of image of God was used. It was used to describe a king who was a representative of, um, sorry, I just got to find the place on my notes so they say this well. Um, It was used to describe a king who 
was act who was acting as a deity's representative. So, for example, you know, you just imagine a text, a Babylonian text that said mm-hmm. something like this: there, there was a, a king who was the king of Babylon, and the gods would have established him as, so the text would say, as their representative mm-hmm. who ruled in the human sphere in their stead. They were thought to be the lords of that sphere. So, of course, we have something a little bit different going on in Genesis, right? It's not just a group of gods or one god among many gods, but rather it's it's God, the king and creator of the whole universe. Hmm. And he hasn't established a king to act as his representative over his sphere, sphere, but rather humanity. So humanity acts as his representative in the sense that Humanity acts as a co-regent. Yeah, okay. And humanity then is supposed to, and it goes on to say, God says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the Mm -hmm. birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the wild animals of the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. And so God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So both men and women as humanity together are supposed to subdue the earth, to have dominion mm. over it, to extend God's kingdom, to yeah. represent God, to maintain the order that he had established when he wow. defeated chaos, right? And says, just keeps, this language keeps coming in 28. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then that language of ruling again, subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air mm-hmm. and over every living mm-hmm. thing. And so humanity's role in the first place was to somehow represent God because somehow we're like him. But in particular, this language of image of God suggests that we act as his co, we're supposed to act as his co-regents to extend his rule, to keep the order that he, the design of the world that he created in the way that he intends. So essentially the steward. Yes, exactly. Stewardship is another way to describe it. Yes, and I think that's helpful to use that language because if we think about ruling, sometimes we think of sort of power moves sure, and things yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. And that's not, of course, what God intended. But there's this sense in which you act as steward by keeping the order that God uh, intended. And also because God is ruler, yeah, yeah, yeah. then us bearing his image in a way we mirror that rule, mm-hmm. which of course isn't like a power move, but it's something different. Yeah. It's, it's caring for and taking care of and maintaining order. Absolutely. Which is, which is such a different, different stance. So totally. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so just one more thing from Genesis yeah. before we move or a couple more things is I just want to talk about how that was distorted for a couple minutes. Sure. Absolutely. The, reading the beginning Absolutely. of Genesis three. So we know uh, Genesis three begins this way. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. Just a couple things about the serpent. Mm-hmm. In the ancient world, the serpent was a symbol of primeval chaos. Now, it wasn't always that, but in this case, because we know what's going to happen, yeah. the serpent is going to reintroduce chaos. Yeah. That probably that's yeah. what's going on here, Absolutely. is that he's a symbol of that. Absolutely. It also says that he's a wild animal. Now, what did we just learn about wild animals and, and yeah. humanity? They're supposed to subdue them. That's right. Rule over them. And so the serpent comes, of course, and we know that he asks Eve, did God say that you you can't eat of any tree? And of course, that's a misrepresentation mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. God. It's a it's a challenge of God's order, and and she says she corrects him, but then he pushes further in verse four, and he says the serpent says to the woman, you you're not going to die if you eat of this tree because the woman has said it's only the tree in the middle of the garden that we can't eat or will mm-hmm. die. And he says you're not going to die for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. 
Mm. Knowing good and evil. Okay, wait a minute. They already are like God. Mm -hmm, They're mm -hmm. already made in the image of God. And so what the serpent is doing here is, I think, although there's probably many things that are going on in this story, um, but I think what he's doing is saying, you need to be like God in a way by being more like him, Mm -hmm. by being like God in a way he didn't intend. It's like, in a way, it could be like, you have this identity, now push for it, assert for it. Make yourself more like that. Don't trust God that he is, has the yeah. right, the good intentions for you in being his image bearer. Do something to make yourself more like him. And of course, she goes for it. Yeah. So a couple things with that. On, on one side, we can see that it's kind of a prideful grasping for more. Yes. But on the other side, there's something interesting that's going on here too. There's a failure to act as God's stewards. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because what should she be doing? She should be subduing that snake. So there's there's a uh, Christian hip hop artist, Lecrae. He he describes it as lusting after God's job. Totally. Which which I think is such a brilliant description of mm. that. Like because mm-hmm. uh, already they have everything. They already are like God. They already, they already share. Yeah. He's already given them that. Right. <sighs> so wild. So in that sense, lusting after God's job on the one hand, but then not doing the not God doing it. the job that God had given them yeah, on the other yeah, by. Yeah allowing the serpent to convince them to, to do something that misrepresents God, right. to do something that fails to maintain his rule, right? right? right. And then chaos enters. Chaos enters in their relationship. Chaos enters uh, in their ability to fill the earth, right? Mm-hmm. Because of the problems with childbearing. Chaos enters in their ability to produce from the earth, to, to care for the earth, to steward the earth. So mm-hmm. everything that they're supposed to be doing is now perverted, distorted, and, and chaos has ensued. So what does this have to do about the the incarnation? Yeah. Yeah. So Paul is going to say in Romans, of course, we know Romans 1, he talks about how all non-Jews have failed uh, to fulfill God's will. And then in chapter 2, he's going to talk about how the Jewish people also have failed to fulfill God's will, even though he had the law. Then he sums up in chapter 3 something important about this. He says, there's no distinction for all have sinned. We Mm -hmm. get that, that, that description. But he says something else. All have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of right. God. And I think it's important to, to say the chaos that you're talking about mm-hmm. is sin. Totally. Yes. Right. I, I like Because um, I think most people that are listening that have some kind of church background or a part of our church or whatever, like that word that keeps coming that, that they've heard a million times over is sin. And so the chaos that starts ensuing in Genesis mm-hmm. is actually sin. And now it's part of the very human existence that's there. Like the way I describe it is we've been infected by sin. Absolutely. So now this is a disease that every human being from Adam and Eve forward, (laughs) they pass on over and over and over again. Uh And there's the only cure is eventually Jesus. And so I think that's the... Yeah, and that's where we're going. Yes, thank you so much. Fantastic. Before that, I just want to say something about this falling short of the glory of God. So all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We don't talk, we talk about the sinning part a lot. And that's where we kind of get confused and don't understand it as part of this chaos. Absolutely. But falling short of the glory of God circles around that. And this is how. In Psalm 8, I'm just going to read part of it so we understand. He's reiterating humanity's purpose at creation. Yeah, he says, yeah. what are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you take care of them? Verse 5, yet you have made them a little lower than angels and crowned them with glory Amazing. and honor. Glory and honor. And then he explains what that glory and honor is. You have given them dominion over the work of your hands. Wow. You have put all things under their feet, all sheep, oxen, uh, beasts of the field, birds of the air, fish, yeah. and so on. So where do we just see that? 
in Genesis. Genesis, right? absolutely. So the glory that human humanity had in the beginning was to act as God's vice regents, yeah. to have dominion over the earth, to to steward it for Him, and that glory, Paul says, is what humans have fallen short of. I I would actually on another podcast, not this one, yeah, actually love to talk to you about that. But as it being about stewardship of the earth and environmentalism, totally. yes. uh, I think a lot yes. of times we have we have these mis- misconceptions about uh, Christianity, evangelicalism, and all these other things when it comes to how we steward the earth. So that will be another podcast because okay. uh, that could get kind of controversial, <laughs> but we'll keep going. So now we're headed okay. towards... Towards what you just talked about, which is the way that the, the sin of Adam meets. So, yeah. so I stopped at Romans 3.23, all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. And then Paul's going to explain how Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has made a way for us to be right with God. Mm. And then Romans 4, through faith in him, we know that most of us know that part of the story. In chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, he talks about the hope that is in this reconciliation that we have with God. And then in verse 12 of chapter 5, he begins to explain what you just talked about, the reason for our hope. The reason for our hope is that although uh, Adam a type of humanity introduced uh, a disease, sin like a disease that spread to everyone. Jesus became a type of humanity. This is why the incarnation was important because Jesus became a type of humanity that would reverse that disorder. Right. And that's what Romans 5, 12 to 21 is about. So I'm going to try to, I hope it's okay to dip into that because I want to push towards uh, chapter six as well. So we can see this. Well, even before we started, we were saying like I, most people aren't, don't engage theology in mm-hmm. in a way that I think we used to uh, in, in some senses. Now mm-hmm. people are just kind of, they're interested, but I think sometimes even finding inroads to it is hard. Totally. So I, I think this is great. So, I mean, yeah, let, let's go. Okay, let's go. So um, for this reason, and here this is a way, or therefore it says in some Bibles, um, he's, he's saying the reason for our hope is this. For even as through one man, now through one man is Adam. Mm-hmm. And by using this language of one man, which he's going to use for Adam and then he's going to use for Jesus, he's kind of outlining Adam as the head of all humanity, yeah. like you said. Okay. So through man, one man, sin entered the world yep. and death uh, through sin, so that death spread to everyone. You already mm-hmm. talked about that. That's mm-hmm. like a disease, a contagion yeah. that takes hold so that everyone after it, uh, Adam sins. It's like, it's normal to sin, right? Yes. We, it's just like, we don't have to think about it. It's just what we it's do. It's there. It's part of our nature. Because yeah. we're part of that type of humanity exactly. that, that Adam introduced. And then there's verses 13 and 14 are going to talk about how Although humanity was supposed to rule, right? Mm-hmm. Rule in the sense of being stewards of God's Absolutely. good creation to extend God's reign in the earth. Death and sin ruled yeah. from the time of Adam onward. Yeah. And verse 15, however, starts to talk about a different type of humanity. But not as the trespass, that's the sin that Adam committed in disobedience to God. Adam and Eve too, of course. Mm-hmm. So also the gift. So, but it's not the same. It's not like they're equal for if through the one, the trespass of the one man, that's Adam, the one part of humanity, I want to say type one humanity, mm-hmm. the many died, how much more? So it's not just like they're equal. There's something more that's happened um, through the grace of God and the gift of God by grace through the one human, hmm. Jesus Christ. So why did Jesus have to become a human? Yeah. Why, did, why is the incarnation so important? He had to enter the human sphere in order to reverse the cycle that Adam had begun. Wow. 
and yet at reverse and exceed it, really. Mm-hmm, and that's, mm-hmm. what, that's what we learned here. Um, and then I'm just going to read uh, verse 16 and 17 and yep. just talk a little bit more about this. For not as through the sin of the one man is the gift. He's saying they're not the same. For condemn, judgment led to condemnation through the sin of the one man. That's the type one humanity. That's Adam. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the gift that followed from the trespasses of the many, the gift through Christ had to, had to come because of the trespasses of many, that is Adam and everyone after him, that led to what? To righteousness. Mm. Justification, some people say, I don't like to use justification as much because we think of that word sometimes as only referring to God as declaring us right, which right. is true. It's it does true. mean that. Sure. But when you righteous someone, yeah. When you make someone righteous, it also has to do with transformation. Right, right. It has to do with making someone pure and right. One commentator says you rectify. I don't know if I like rectification, sure. but it's, it's, it's straightening what's crooked. And that's what Jesus did. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then in verse 17, for if through the trespass of the one man, the trespass of Adam, death ruled through the one man, Adam, mm-hmm. much more. Those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, the gift of being right-wised, right. being, being made pure and right, how much more shall they rule? Yeah. They're wow. going to rule in life through the one man, right. through the one human Jesus. Right, 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 right. right? And this, this is the beauty. This is the glory. This is what we're celebrating at Christmas. We're celebrating what this one man has done in mm-hmm. and through his incarnation, mm-hmm. in that he's right-wise what was wrong. And then, of course, through his obedience, uh, which showed us what, unto death, which shows right. us what true humanity looks like, who's right with God. And so then he's going to go back and forth through the rest of chapter 5 and say, yes, reiterate again, the one, the one trespass of the one man has led to disobedience of the many, but the obedience of the one man, Jesus, the type 2 humanity, has led to the obedience of many. So mm-hmm. it's like there's this contrast. And I just want to um, kind of sum this up by saying that uh, what com- one commentator has recently said is this, Jesus enters human space to transform it. The enactment of God's grace in Christ topples the power of sin and ushers in a new rule, wow. the reestablishment of God's kingdom, his rule in the earth. That's what's happening. Wow. And then chapter six goes on to explain that. And if we have time, I'd like to just yeah. move into that and talk about that briefly for us in yeah, a way. Yeah, yeah. Um, so chapter six is going to explain, and I'll just say a summary statement and then move into the details of it. So Jesus enters our human sphere and retrieves us for God's purposes. It's not just that he shows us yeah. what we're supposed to look like. Yeah. He retrieves us. Yeah. And he founds a new way of being human and then shares it with us. That's how he does it. He retrieves us by founding this new way of being human, as we've already seen. Yeah. And then he gives us a way to enter into that space so we can begin to share that with him. Which makes me think so much of even a Moses figure. Yes. You know, like, mm-hmm. and I think that's, I think for most people, like the Old Testament scares scares the living daylights out of them. <laughs> but if you're looking for connections to Jesus, like here is this guy who is in the desert and then ends up coming to mm. Israel and not only to just kind of say, hey, you know, God sent me. Yeah. He's physically retrieving them to take them to where they need to go. Exactly. And so there's, yeah. That's, yeah. That's, oh, yeah. We could have seen this in I mean, the Gospels too in a different everywhere. sort of way. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I thought of that and thought, oh, 
let's go straight to Paul because he's, I love it. he's trying to work it out. Let's go to Paul. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Right. So then Paul begins chapter six by asking a rhetorical question because he thinks some people might get it wrong. He says, what shall we say? Should we continue in sin that grace might, mm-hmm. might abound? Sure. Because he's saying where sin abounded, grace abounded more. He's right. just said that. And so people might think, I think he thinks, oh, well, let's just keep sitting and then grace abounds more. It's going to work out great. And he's going, no, actually, guys, verse two, may it never be, he declares. This is like an exasperated statement, really. For whoever has died to sin, how can he live in it anymore? And then he's going to talk about baptism as the means by which we're brought out of Adam's sphere Hmm. and we enter Christ's sphere. And he says this, verse three, do not, do you not know that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Having been buried with him, I'm starting with verse four, having been buried with him uh, through baptism unto death in order that even as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the father, thus also we might walk in newness of life. So baptism then is this act wherein we're brought into a wholly new mode of existence mm. that Jesus has founded. Wow. And for that reason, we get to walk in this newness of life. And then he's going to go on and explain how in baptism, we're united with Christ. Mm-hmm. We're brought together with him so that his life becomes ours. Wow. So think about it. He founded this new way of being human. And now he's sharing his life with us. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And that's all because of the incarnation. This right. couldn't happen another way. This, this deeply, deeply embedded salvation, something that our human need was so great that Jesus had to be with us to this extent. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, I, I won't read verses 5 to 10, but it's just talking about this united with Christ in both his death and his resurrection. So his pattern of obedience now becomes something we step into and we Mm. begin to walk out. And then in verse 11, it says this, to sum up what he said, so also you, or to sum up what the results, the ramifications of this unity with Christ that we now have. So also you reckon yourselves as dead on the one hand to sin, but alive to God Hmm. in Jesus Christ. Hmm. Why? Because Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead and now he's sharing his resurrection life with us yeah. on this side of the wow. grave, right? Um, let me just read a couple things that people have said about this before I move on yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. just drive home why this matters on the ground for us. Yeah. Why is this so important? Brendan Burns says this, living to God in this way, so as alive from the dead and mm-hmm. unto God, um, successfully uh, in this way is, is the last Adam, that is Jesus. It's successfully models the true pattern of human existence in relation to God. And I've already Mm -hmm. talked about that, right? Which the first Adam betrayed. Jesus thereby facilitates human entrance into inheritance of the earth. That is into that entrance into um, our role as stewards of the earth, as as extending God's reign in the earth. And this is according to the original plan of God, Bryn says. Probably more potently, um, I don't know if you know the book Paul and the Gift by John Barclay, but he says something even more potent about this. Um, Paul imagines not just imitation of Christ, although, of course, he knows that's there. Mm -hmm. But he says, but a form of participation with Christ, such that believers' new life is no ordinary existence, but a product of impossibility, the resurrection of Christ. Believers' new mode of existence, their new allegiances, dispositions, motions, actions, is attributable to the miraculous life of Christ himself, 
believers live to God, and he's referring to what I just read in chapter 6, verse 11, they're walking miracles, all the more evidently miraculous because this new creation life begins in our case, not on the other side, Mm -hmm. not on the other side of death, but on this side of death. And then so Paul is going to explain how that happens in verses 12 to 14. So he says, therefore, since you're supposed to present your God, uh, yourself to God as alive from the dead Mm -hmm. because of your participation with Christ and because he shared his life with you, do not let sin rule in your mortal body. Hmm. So this is a, this is Paul talking about the reclamation yeah. of our purpose to yeah. bear God's image and subdue the earth. And where does it start? Subduing our bodies. Yeah. Wow. Don't let, so our ruling begins in ruling over, don't let our sin rule in our mortal bodies in order to obey, obey its less. Right. He's saying, you guys don't have to do it that anymore because you actually have been translated into this new mod- mode of existence founded how because of what Jesus did in becoming right. human and founding it for us he's invited us into that space so don't stop letting rule, sin rule begin right. to act as stewards of God's good creation by ruling over your Yourself. created self yeah. exactly yeah, yeah. um and he explains it goes on to explain it in verse 13 this way and don't present the members of your body as instruments of unrighteousness don't present them to sin as instruments of unrighteousness but present yourselves to God um, as alive from the dead and the members of your body as weapons of righteousness mm. for sin will not rule over you. So you've right. got that ruling language again. Right. So this is this retaking, this reclaiming of our purpose mm-hmm. to bear God's image, to represent him and to begin that by ruling over um, the members of our body. So what does that mean? Members yeah, of our body. Yeah. Really, it's it, like, so it's our limbs, yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> our hands, our feet, you know, sure, sure, sure. all that, our mouths. But I think probably more accurately, it's all of our human faculties. So let me just list mm-hmm. what that can encompass. Our dispositions. Yeah. Our emotions. Yeah. Our speech patterns. <laughs> our habitual gestures. Yeah. Our social interactions. And our intellect, and I could go yeah, on, but this absolutely. just so when it says to present, don't present your members, all of these human faculties to sin anymore. Mm-hmm. Don't let them rule over. Don't let sin rule over you by doing that. But present these human faculties to God, and let me just give a couple examples of of what that might look like, sure, so we can yeah. imagine it. So let's let's imagine someone, and I don't think this would be this. You would be this person, Josh. But let's imagine someone who's timid and shy. Sure. So the person who had that natural disposition, that's part, that's part of their members, that's part of who they are. If they present that disposition to sin as an instrument of sin, yeah. it's probably going to look like self-protection. Sure. Uh, it's going to look like withdrawal. It's going to look like failure to engage. It might even look like anxiety and, mm-hmm. and hypochondriac kind of tendencies. Yeah, yeah. And really be totally this type one humanity, yep. what Adam has yep. has founded for us. But if that person who's naturally timid and shy steps into the type two humanity that Jesus has founded, mm-hmm. this new mode of human existence, then I think that I'm just going to imagine what that might look like. Yeah, 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 yeah. First of all, what's going to happen is the focus is going to be away from themselves. So self-protection in type one. Right. 
But if the focus turned away from self, I can imagine that type of person being someone who watches over hmm. others, who cares for others, who wants to create safe spaces for others to be, right. others to be, right? Who wants, um, who is watchful, maybe even pastoral. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And what happens now, notice what happens when that disposition is yielded to God as a weapon or an instrument of righteousness, depending on how you translate mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens is not only does that person rule over their disposition, right? but what happens is be- the space around it starts them. Affecting. It starts affecting the rest of creation, right. the rest of God's world. Let's, let's give another example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Let's say competitiveness. I, I'm yep. going to call that a natural disposition. Sure. Of course, we. So, for any of us who are like that, and I can attest that I'm one of those people. Okay. 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 <laughs> so I usually think, oh, I hate being competitive. This this sucks. I always, you know, I tend to um, want to get the better of other people. Yeah, I always yeah. want to be the best. I compare myself with other people a lot. It's just, and and part of me. If I hadn't known what Christ had done, and until I knew what Christ had right. done, I just wanted to stop that. It's just a place of shame, yep. right? Yep. It's a place I don't want to be. I don't want to live there. But actually, let's just think of that as a disposition. Okay. Let's just think of that as, as a faculty, a member mm-hmm. of our bodies. If I think of it like that, what would it look like for competitiveness to be... Uh, to be living in this place, or someone who's competitive to be living in this space that's founded by Jesus through his incarnation, I think it could look like relentless pursuit of God's purposes. Yeah, yeah. I think it could look like relentless pursuit of excellence yep. in home, in church, in workplace, aiming to implement the best practices. Yep. And what do, happens when, when that occurs? the world around them becomes a better place. They begin to rule over through Christ's power and through the pattern of Jesus, through his death and resurrection and obedience to God that transforms competitiveness into something that's actually good. So so what you're essentially saying is the incarnation as Jesus comes shows us how to be, uh, shows us how to be human. Yeah. What that looks like specifically. Uh, in the end, the way that you know that you're fruitfully living this thing out mm-hmm. is if you're not always about yourself. Totally. Like that really does seem what you're saying. Oh, yes. And and that's that's helpful that you bring that in. And so I didn't think I'd have time to do this, but I, 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 I think it's really important when we think of this to think, well, how do we get started? Yeah. Right? yeah. Like how do we get started in, we think of these attributes that, that are, these human attributes, attributes are bad. I think that Paul in Philippians 2, and Pastor Marvin's just talked yeah, yeah, about yeah. this, what was it, a couple of weeks Future, ago? Yeah. yeah, and it was a beautiful job. I think Paul in Philippians 2 gives us a starting point for that because what's happening in their community? They're yeah. being competitive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, and Paul is going to say that your thinking needs to change, right? We yeah. had that series yeah. on thinking. Um, so let me just flip over to there because I want to say a couple things about that then. Um, and now I can't find Philippians. Because ultimately, because uh, ultimately, when it comes down to it, um, it, if we are infected by sin, starting in Genesis, yes. and Jesus is the remedy. Yes. 
it could have been just simply that. It could have just been like, okay, you're infected by sin. Here's the remedy. It's over. Now figure it out. Totally. And and the way, like even, so for me, with all of the different backgrounds that I have, lots of times I try to explain to people the differences between Christianity and other religions. And so I say like, you know, if you take a, a spectrum of mountains, so let's just say there's a bunch of different mountains. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if there's a fog there or you're at the base, everything kind of looks the same. It's all just a bunch of rock that you're looking up towards. Uh, so, you know, most world religions have, you know, love, peace, all of these, all of these specific attributes, all these specific values that, that kind of everybody holds to. Mm-hmm. And then the, the only thing is, I think there's some people that think that, so as you go up the mountain, it doesn't matter how you go up the mountain, you're all going to get to the same peak. Mm-hmm. And my suggestion is actually they're all different peaks. Hmm. So at the top of every hmm. yes, e- every yes. peak is a different God. And so the idea of Christianity, though, is everybody starts out at the bottom and everyone's trying to get to the peak to get to God. Hmm. But the joy of Christianity is the God at the top of the peak ca- actually came down yeah. and is meeting us in the middle of all of it and is not mm-hmm. expecting us just to... Um, work and travail and to do all of these right. things to get to him yeah. that he came to us and he's willing to work with us in the middle of it to make us better yes. uh, and not only to cure the disease but to transform us from the inside out is the idea exactly and the only way that that could have happened with was by him becoming human Paul yeah. says and by founding entering the human realm and founding a new way of being human yeah. and then sharing that with us in the sense that he shares his resurrection life with us. That's amazing. Because if we didn't have that, we, we would be, we'd be hooped. We'd, we'd yeah. be trying to get to the top of the mountain, you say, but never, we'd never, never possible. achieve it. No, and never achieve it. But what Paul is saying is actually because Christ has founded this new way of being human, it's possible to choose his way. Yeah. And, and this is what he's also saying in Philippians. And, yeah. and so I think, so we've got these things about ourselves that we, we don't like, or we've got these um, type one Adam yeah. traits. We see them as liabilities. Yes. Yeah. yes. And, and the Lord Jesus is inviting us into a space where those things are transformed and we rule over them. And, and insofar mm-hmm. as we do that, we become good stewards mm-hmm. of God's created mm-hmm. world. So how do we get started on that? Like, way of being human in the way that God intends. And I think that it's simply by imitating Jesus' Hmm. life. And I think that really this is what Paul's inviting us to do in Philippians 2. So starting at verse 5, he's saying, so they're fighting and he's saying, you got to change your way of thinking. And he says this, let this thinking be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And we know this passage well, um, who being in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Hmm. Now, what did Adam and Eve do? They gra- they, they try to grasp it. <laughs> exactly. They were lusting after his right. job. Yeah. yeah, exactly. What's interesting about this phrase, who being in the form of God, Gordon Fee is going to say hmm. that, and this is true, this is another way to translate this, is because he was in the form of God. Mm-hmm. He didn't consider equality something to be grasped. He already was that. Yeah. And also Gordon Fee is going to say, that because he was in the form of God, he showed us what God was really like yeah. by serving, right? So um, uh, verse seven, but he emptied himself, of course, not of his divine attributes, but he emptied himself of his divine privileges, his mm-hmm. di- divine prerogatives, um, and taking the form of, sla- of a slave and being found in the likeness of man. 
And being found in outward form as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, the death of a cross. And Fee, I don't think I have um, his quote anywhere here, yeah. but he talks about this as the, the epitome of what God looks like. Yeah. What Jesus did here is showing us exactly what it means to look like Jesus. And so when I think of those two examples of timidity or when I think of competitiveness, when those things are yielded to this way of Jesus, yeah. when those are, we begin to rule over God's good creation, how? By offering the best of ourselves and the worst of ourselves, every part of ourselves yeah. to God and say, God, how do I use what you've given me to rule like you hmm. do? And the way that you rule is to humble yourself and serve to the uttermost point, even to death, the most humbling death on a cross. Mm -hmm. And we think that's that's not going to lead to any kind of achievement of any good thing in the human realm. I think that that's that like that's how I think. I mean, this. Is, but, but actually, Paul explains that it does. Mm -hmm. So Jesus did that to show us who God was. Right. And then it says this in verse nine: Wherefore, God exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow in the heavens and in the earth and under the earth. And every tongue could, should confess that he is Lord uh, to the glory of the Father. This is a way, every knee should bow. That language is used of Yahweh, the, mm -hmm. the, 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 the one and only God of Israel yep. in Isaiah 45. Yep. And so used here, it's, it, God is saying, yes, he is God. He is exactly one and equals mm -hmm. me. And, and, and so notice what happens here. We're worried about our identity, right? We're worried about expressing ourselves. We're, we're worried about all that. And so when we hear of this Jesus way, when we hear of this self-humiliation, this, this um, servanthood, it kind of bugs us because oh, we, want, we want to prove who we are. We want to grasp for our identity and prove who we are. Yeah. This pattern of Jesus shows us that when he took the lowest place and he explained who God was by doing that, God had his back. Hmm. And God said, yeah, actually, he exalted him to the highest place because that is the place yeah. where Jesus belongs. That is who he is. Now, I'm not saying that God is going to necessarily exalt us. But the thing is, whatever your gifts are, whatever your identity is, God's got your back. Yeah, that's he's great. Going, he's going to sustain you and enable you to do in this good world that he's made everything that you need to do. But it's going to happen to its highest degree when you choose this lowest place of servanthood. Mm. Because when you're doing that, that's the starting place of imitating him. And in that starting place, you're going to be retrieving God's purposes for you in the world. I love it. And and I think the joy of it is that you, you don't do it outside of him anyway. Totally. Right? Yeah. Like, so one of your colleagues, um, Andrew Gabriel, and then mm -hmm. some other people that I've... Uh, you know, Roger Stronsad was yes. one of my profs oh, growing, nice. growing yes. you know, in, uh -huh. in college. Gordon Fee, just for those listening, it was actually a professor at Regent College right. in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I, I would consider him something called like a Pauline pneumatologist, really. Like he yes. just did amazing work in, in, in regard to the spirit. But in mm -hmm. Paul's writings, mm -hmm. uh, Roger was a guy that did some amazing stuff in Luke's writings, Luke yes. Acts, and just has, has done some great stuff. Andrew's done some great stuff as well. And I think the the good stuff, the, the good thing about all of these writers is that lots of times we think about our Christianity as let's let's do it, let's choose it, 
Mm-hmm. But the joy of it is that we have God's spirit inside of us. I mean, the day you said yes to Jesus is the day that, Je- that he actually comes in and inhabits you mm-hmm. and helps you to start looking more like Jesus. So it's not like we're doing it on our own. We're doing it in conjunction, in partnership with God's spirit that's changing us. And I think that's, that was the, and I know Roger really always emphasized this, that, you know, uh, Luke is really the point where we get to see Jesus being this spirit filled example of what a, a, a human being that is spirit filled looks like. Totally. Um, and I think that's very helpful because then you have an idea of well, what's the point of this Holy Spirit being in me? What, why is he even there? What, why am I even listening to him? And when you look at the, the ties between Luke and, uh, and Jesus and how many times Luke actually emphasizes the point that the spirit is inside of Jesus mm-hmm. and he's the one, you know, leading him and helping him and doing all right. those things. Uh, when we get to the incarnation and you watch that flow out, it actually does help us because it's, it's not like Jesus was walking around and just being like, well, I'm, I'm fully man, fully God. I <laughs> forget it. And this is where I think Hebrews is helpful. Hebrews 2.18 uh, he was tempted in every way. Yes, which is, which is, I mean, Hebrews just boggles my mind in, yes. in general. But then the idea that Jesus Christ, the the Savior of the world, was tempted in every way that I am tempted in, and never gave in. Mm-hmm. Like, how did he do that? Only like if he doesn't have the Holy Spirit guiding and helping and framing it as he's a human being, he could like it would be impossible. Because right. the disease of sin is so strong. Right. But because he has that, there is this ability to say no. And I think that's what's so unique about it is you're saying mm-hmm. the incarnation, as it flows out, gives us the opportunities to say no to a nature that's ours naturally. Mm-hmm. That's wild. And and I would maybe to say it a different way. Sure. Or, or, or to add to, not in a different way, but to add to what you're saying, to say no to what was natural for us to do yeah. and to give us a way that becomes our natural way. Yeah. Which is amazing. So, just changes, transforms. Like, so even as it's natural in type one humanity mm-hmm. to sin like Adam, Jesus founded a new way of being human amazing. in his incarnation. So it'd be natural to do the right thing. Amazing. It would become natural to follow this pattern that I just read in Philippians 2. Mm-hmm. And that is actually our privilege and our joy. It sounds like something we recoil from. Yeah. But when we begin to step into it and we begin to fellowship with Jesus in this space, mm-hmm. it becomes joyful. It becomes actually a place of life and a place where we're sustained in a way that's unimaginable. Wow. 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 So a- a- anything else? Anything I else think, you can give us? I think that's all. I just, I, I think what I wanted to say today in a nutshell is that Jesus in his incarnation entered the human realm to be with us. Yeah. And in these spaces where being human is hard to show us what it meant to be truly human in the right sort of way to bear God's image, but not just that, but to share his life with us so we could actually pull it off. Which is amazing. And is this idea again of a God, not just staying at the top of the mountain peak, waiting for us to just blood bloodied and bruised to get there, (laughs) but that he's willing to, come and meet us and help us to get to where he is. So that's amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate all of the, all of the, 
the knowledge and all of the the years of study that you've spent. You're you're a gift to the local church. Just just so you know that. Oh, it's just been a, my pleasure and privilege to be here, Josh. Thanks. Good, good. Well, hey, and also this is going to air before Christmas, so. Oh, good. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you too. All right, Merry Christmas, everybody. Have a great uh, have a have a great time with your families. Bye.